0: Welcome to Living Water Radio. Today we're going to talk about the future of the church after the pandemic, and how our past may hold some clues for the future. We'll start by looking at Acts chapter 9, starting at verse 36. My name is Pastor David Burk My wife, Rev. Sally Welch, is co-producing this podcast. Sally is a United Church of Christ slash Christian Church, Disciples of Christ, ordained minister, focusing on ecumenical and interfaith ministry. I graduated from St. Olaf College in Northfield, Minnesota and Pacific Lutheran Theological Seminary in Berkeley, California. I served Lutheran Christian congregations in Compton, California and San Dimas, California for over 40 years. I worked in a variety of blue-collar summer jobs in college and seminary, served in the Marine Corps, played drums in jazz bands through college and seminary, and a little beyond, and was a competitive master's swimmer on a team before the pandemic. Today, doing gardening and landscape maintenance is my gym, and I'm active as a volunteer in the leadership of the 110 Evangelical Lutheran Church in America congregations in our area. Many businesses are reopening this week, even as states all over the country, particularly in the southern half, are reporting spikes in new COVID-19 cases now, about two weeks from the Memorial Day holiday. Some churches are also trying to discern whether or not to reopen. We know what churches will have to do to try to keep people safe at in-person worship. I would like to suggest that we also consider what the church should be as we reopen. What kind of church should we be as we consider the new realities? After I retired almost two years ago, we were ecclesiastical nomads for about six months. We went to different churches every Sunday. The greatest number was Lutheran, but we went to churches of a wide variety of other denominations as well. One of the things I noticed at pretty much every church I visited was that it was clear to me why someone would want to join most of those churches—an educational ministry, a choir, a band, a worship service, a youth program, an organization, a pastor—but I did not see how anyone would come to Christ at those churches. What is the purpose of our churches? What message do we communicate, intentionally or otherwise, and what do we offer the community? How does the Church reach people with the good news of reconciliation with God at the cross? One way is to consider how the faithful followers of Jesus Christ, the Church, grew from a few despised and frightened individuals to a growing countercultural movement and then to the official religion of the Roman Empire in just a few centuries. What did they do? How do churches that are now reopening during what we hope are the final days of the coronavirus pandemic rise, adapt, and minister? What do we do in what we pray are the early days of renewed national soul-searching regarding race relations and the injustices experienced by the African-American community in particular to rise, adapt, and minister? One way is to consider what the inclusive community of the early church did when it was known to be a servant church, well before it was known to be an institutional church. In Christian sociologist Rodney Stark's book, The Rise of Christianity, he describes studies of the growth and development of the church in its early centuries, from the records of the time. He expected to find that the church as a whole would have had a choppy record, sometimes growing and sometimes not, depending on the degree of persecution by the Roman Empire. He found instead that the church grew by a steady rate during those first few centuries. He discovered that the church grew because the actions produced by its faith gained the respect of the citizens of the empire everywhere the church was planted. In those days, for example, if an unwanted child was born into a family, usually a girl, it would be taken into the woods and left there. People believed that if the gods wanted it to die, it would die, and if the gods wanted it to live, it would live conscience clear. Christians would go into the woods and collect those babies and bring them into their own homes and raise them. When there were too many, Christians founded the first orphanages. When plagues struck, in urban areas in particular, anyone with any money at all would flee to their country houses and ride it out. Christians stayed and nursed their own back to health, as well as anyone who was sick, at great risk to themselves. When there were too many, Christians founded the first hospitals. Christianity's high regard for women and the subsequent treatment of women was attractive to women as well as to men. Here's a description of the earliest churches from Acts chapter 9, beginning at the 36th verse. Now, in Joppa, there was a disciple whose name was Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. She was devoted to good works and acts of charity. At that time, she became ill and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in a room upstairs. Since Lydia was near Joppa, the disciples who heard that Peter was there sent two men to him with the request, Please come to us without delay. So Peter got up and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the room upstairs. All the windows stood besi- widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Peter put all of them outside and then he knelt down and prayed he turned to the body and said Tabitha get up then she opened her eyes and seeing Peter she sat up she gave her his hand and helped he gave her his hand and helped her up then calling the saints and widows he showed her to be alive this became known throughout Joppa and many believed in the lord meanwhile he stayed in Joppa for some time with a certain Simon, a tanner. That's some kind of action. What information does that tell us about Peter and the early church? The book of Acts, short for Acts of the Apostles, tells us of the first years of the Christian church. It is a record of how the Holy Spirit was made manifest for the first generation of the church. It is the greatest church growth manual ever written. Look at the day of Pentecost, the birthday of the Church. Holy fire appeared not on candles, but on the heads of the first Christians. It was incendiary. The Tower of Babel was reversed. If we rise from this pandemic to live as this Church, born, guided, and empowered by the Holy Spirit, we will be an inclusive Church. It's natural. If we're not inclusive, something is wrong. My hero in Church development, Lyle Schaller, once observed that people would say, and I've said it myself, the seven last words of the church are, we've never done it that way before. But Lyle said, that's just another way of saying, this is who we are. Can we now ask how much of our identity as a church comes from God, and how much is just something we have constructed to make ourselves feel comfortable? Who are we, and how do we come more of a movement of the Holy Spirit and less of a cultural and political institution? How do we address the issue of racial justice? It won't be a program to receive more black people. That's recruitment, not evangelism. To open the church, we must practice pro-social distancing, that is, distancing ourselves from the way our society is now. There has to be room for people to enter. We have to loosen the very ties that bind us together today in order to allow more people to come in. We have to broaden the definition, spoken and unspoken, conscious and unconscious, of who we are as the body of Christ. We can't just check the boxes of some one-size-fits-all program. There will be more listening than talking, more asking than giving answers, and more action than contemplation. I read a story about an Indian evangelist who had a great deal of success reaching university students. When he was asked what was his program, he replied, I just love them until they ask me why. That is not the same as following a political or ideological agenda, of being a social service agency that sometimes uses religious language as a motif. It means embracing the gift of a living relationship with the living God in a way that is expressed in love of God and neighbor, of knowing the love of God in Jesus Christ and sharing it with the people we know. Dorcas was loved because she loved in the name of God. What is our reputation in the community? What good works and acts of charity are we known for? What if Jesus were to say to the church, Get up! Rise! Rise up! What should we do? What would we do? Love people until they ask why. Open our hearts and our churches to receive the gifts and power of the Holy Spirit to be a servant church, as we first have seen the grace of the servant God. When I was in the Marine Corps, I was stationed in a place where we one day received a new sergeant. He had previously been a drill instructor and came to us after being found guilty of 27 counts of maltreatment of recruits. When the lights went on at 5.30 a.m., he would walk from bed to bed with his palm held up and say, Rise. There was something in the way he intoned that single word that cut through the deepest sleep, and we awakened. On his second trip around the room, if for any reason someone was still asleep, he would place his palm up and, with a little more intensity, say, Rise. If that person still didn't get up, He would lift the end of the bed frame and spin it upside down. By this time, most people would be awake. Maybe that's where we are in our society. Maybe these events are God's wake-up call. This time, maybe God's call for the rise. Today, let's remember to pray for all those caring for those with the coronavirus, for those who now have it, and for those in danger of getting it. And let's remember to pray the Lord's Prayer today, the one that Jesus taught us. If you don't know what that is, contact us at the Revs David at gmail.com, and we'll send it to you. Put your prayer requests in an email to the same address, the Revs David and Sally at gmail.com, and we'll include them next time. As always, we encourage you to stay hydrated. Open your heart to receive the living water from the source, God's self, the living presence of the one true living God, the God who gave himself on the cross so that all who believe and are baptized might be restored to the living relationship with God for which we were created. Remember your church. Identify one if you don't already have one. Ask a friend about it or family member. Google it. Do some research. Look around. Phone the pastor. When you have a church, go to or tune in to the worship services they have currently available for your congregation and support the church financially so that it will be there when we come back to fully physically present worship together. Support your pastor and church leaders, pray for them, and help them in any way that you can. If you or a loved one are having thoughts of suicide or are struggling with mental health issues, call somebody. Google your local hotline or one of the national ones. You are not alone. Wear a mask when you're outside your home, practice social distancing, wash or sanitize your hands regularly. Stay home unless you are providing essential services or needing them. Avoid crowds and be outside if you have to be in one. Be kind to everyone you come into contact with, including those who are sacrificing their security to provide for yours and for those you are sheltering with in isolation. That's it. Thank you for listening to Living Water Radio.